there will likely be some times in the next months where you're gonna need, need to just hold on to those lines there. When all else fails, all your resources, everything you've figured out uh, in order to make life easier for you, there's gonna come a point where you just have to simply fall on the fact that you are saved by grace, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I remind us of this every once in a while, but that's exactly where God wants us sometimes. It might seem cruel for us to be in a place where we don't have anything we can do, no way to solve our own problem. God allows us to go to that valley in our journey and he wants us to be able to look to him and praise God there is nothing that can take away the gift of eternal life if you know Jesus Christ as your savior. What a wonderful encouragement. That's one of the reasons why we join together to sing about the salvation that God has just lovingly allowed us to be a part of, to sing to him, to encourage others as well. Let me pray one more time before we go into God's word. Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would clearly be involved in our time with myself as I speak, that I would not get in the way of what your word says, how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in this world, how we're supposed to love one another, be reminded of why we are here in this world. God, I thank you for your written word. I thank you for this church family. And I would ask that you would allow us just to be taught by the Holy Spirit during this time. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you're looking for a place to maybe spend some vacation time or maybe a weekend trip, there are a number of places that you can go in our area. That's encouraging um, to have several choices. I found myself a few years ago going uh, to visit the Henry Ford Museum. And as I was there, there were things I had never seen before. Of course, the, the uh, bus that Rosa Parks uh, refused to give her seat upon is there. That was interesting to see. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile that is there. And a lot of things. There was one thing that stands out to me from all that time back because as I read a little description, description it was burned within me because of the emotion that it raised. I'm going to read a section from a part that was deleted from the Declaration of Independence. We understand that when um, America was trying to secede from England, there were some um, accusations that were made against the king of England. And as I went through and I saw something, I mentioned this was tied to an emotion for me because as I saw it, and I'm, I'm able to look at Um, a more contemporary history than that far back, I wanted to cry foul. I wanted to say, couldn't they foresee what was coming? How there could have been over a half million lives saved if they would have just left this one item in that Declaration of Independence. I'm going to give you an assignment because I don't have it on the screen for you. I'm going to read this. And I want for you to try to see what was burned within me, the emotion that was attached, because I can look back at history and see something that they could not foresee possibly. This was, would have been the 28th um, offense that was listed 
in the declaration. I'll read it for you with just a few updates um, to help it more understandable. The king of England has waged war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred right of life and liberty in the persons of a distant, distant people, Africans, who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery, into another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. This piratical warfare, the harsh criticism of infidel powers, is the warfare of the Christian king of the Great Britain, determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold. He has shamefully traded away his veto for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or to restrain this detestable commerce in human beings. We have here a section that was going to be in the Declaration of Independence, but it was withheld. Specifically, at that point in history, this nation, which was not a nation yet, but they needed everybody to be on board with leaving England, taking on this monumental task that was before them. This is very important. Some of you know where I'm going with this. But there were two states, Georgia and South Carolina, that said, we will not be with you with this secession from England if you keep that in that document. And so in order for America to become its own country, they withdrew that That paragraph that was part of Jefferson's original draft of the Declaration of Independence. Why was it not included? Well, these two states had quite a bit of influence. They were needed in this effort that was going on at that time. And how do I judge that today? Why why do I cry foul? Because of the over half million lives that were lost in the Civil War. And I think it was so close, so close to having that involved, so close to having that as one of our founding documents, which maybe would have headed off the pass. It was in the area of slavery. I judge it as a devastating blunder. Why wasn't it in? Because at that point, the main objective was to break away from the control of Great Britain. What does this have to do for us today or, you know, as we study God's word? If you're not already there, turn to our text, Ephesians chapter 6. We're approaching the end of our study. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have a passage that clear, uh, deals clearly with the employee and the employer. I think that is what God wants for us to have from that. But I'm going to spend time in our next session going into details about that because as I have been going around studying this and spending time, I have been led to give really a a topical message to help us with something. Just yesterday I was talking with one of our other leaders here in the church and this topic came up and he said there are so many people that are not aware 
of the biblical stand on that, how we should approach that. The flavor of the conversation we were having was in the area of apologetics, defending your faith. And it is too often that Christians will be afraid to get into a maybe deep conversation or be afraid of some specific attacking points that might come from someone outside of the family of God because they don't know how to give an answer. I'm going to read verses 5 through 9 of Ephesians 6. And then we're going to, like I say, we're going to focus in on one topic today that hopefully will help you in having confidence in God's word and in your faith. But I'll read through the entire passage. And next time we are here, we will spend more time breaking this down regarding the employee and the employer. Starting in verse 5 of Ephesians 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same thing, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both master and yours is in heaven, and that, and that there is no partiality with him. Let me encourage us with this. As a follower of God, no matter where you are at in your journey, you might be a new believer, might be very young, and you don't have the years of study that maybe some others do, Or maybe you're a veteran and you've realized there are some topics that are difficult to get into, that are hard to defend. I want to encourage all of us, we never need to dodge a difficult passage in God's word. Now you might need to apply yourself better. There are so many resources that are out there for you and I. It's amazing. By the way, the other side those that would attack the Bible, they have these same resources. So you need to do your homework. You need to be responsible. Be ready to give an answer. But I want to encourage us, there is not one topic that the Bible teaches that we need to apologize for. Not one. There's not one area where we need to say, boy, if I get into that conversation, I'm probably going to lose that debate. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, we find the word bondservant. And you can go to whichever version of the Bible that you want, but this comes from the Greek word doulos, which means slave. Don't try to explain it away. That's what we have there. And what can we know about this audience? So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. It was a cyclical letter that was going to go to the church at Ephesus as well as others. And what can we know by reading this part here about the the audience that was listening to it, perhaps when they opened it up for the first time to read it in public? We can know that in that audience there were both slaves and free men. So try to picture that here, this mixed group that's hearing it. Is this going to be a message from the Apostle Paul just to one group? Just to the other? 
We need to understand as we're approaching the scripture who, who was listening at first, what the intent was. And also a very helpful tip for us, and this is extremely important as we come up to this topic. We need to guard against our understanding of this passage and our understanding of slavery as the Bible talks about it with the idea of American slavery in the 1800s in mind. I mean, that's probably what most of us have in mind when we think of slavery. We think of someone that was kidnapped from another country, brought here in chains, sold and whipped, and there were atrocities that were taking place in slavery. And while there were occasions where slavery was atrocious, we see that in Egypt, in the Old Testament, and we see a lot of opportunities for men who had leverage. We've seen this in our study of Ephesians. Men who have leverage abusing that leverage and abusing that right. Having said that, when we approach the area of slavery and when we approach what God's word has to say about it, we need to be careful not to just think of America in the 1800s. And that's what it was because that's what we automatically think of. And to give a better confidence in God's word, we're going to look at this idea of slavery. And I think we're also going to find a couple of wonderful applications along the way. Now, to give a better understanding of Paul as he writes this here, you need to understand some of the, the, the logistics that were there in the Roman Empire. Because a conservative number that tells us how many slaves were in the Roman Empire, it's going to be over 30%. Over 30% of the individuals that lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. And some less conservative numbers would say up to half. Up to half of those people were slaves. Over 6 million. So as Paul writes this, you have to imagine the environment, the culture that he is writing to. It does not mean that we are winking at sin. It means that we are understanding what was going on as he writes this, and it's going to be helpful for us in our day today. One of the fatal flaws of Roman thinking, and it's so anti-biblical, is that they didn't have to work. So many of the Romans believed that work was not something that was admirable, and so they would just hire one slave or another. It was something that was beneath their dignity for a Roman citizen to work, and that's why slaves were just pouring in. But so many of them were, they would, some, some of them would be even closer to an employee-employer relationship here in America. So don't think that it was all like that picture that we have of American slavery 150 years ago. We're going to take a look at something that Paul says about this, but I think probably more helpful for you and for me and when I say you can have confidence in God's word, you need to understand this. We're gonna learn today from what the Apostle Paul does not say. What does Paul not say that would give your critics maybe some ammunition? Someone who does not agree with Jesus Christ and does not agree with the Bible, can they get a handle on this area here and can they make an accusation saying, I'll have no part of your faith because your Bible condones slavery? You see, the Apostle Paul, as he writes this, he does not say to the slaves that are in the audience, now that you are slaves, you no longer have to fulfill your obligation to your master. 
You're free from that. He does not write that. And also, he addresses the other side. He does not say to the masters, now that you are saved, you must set your slaves free. Now let me just ask you, if you're a follower of Christ, how much influence has the Apostle Paul had over your life? Holy smokes, right? I mean, giving us the majority of the New Testament. We spend, I mean, and so many people love um, these books. I was talking to somebody earlier that's about to start a, a study in Philippians and how wonderful and a blessing, how much influence Paul had. And yet, Paul does not say to the slaves, you don't have to be a slave anymore. And he does not say to the masters, you have to set your slaves free. Some people having a good understanding of the scriptures, might say, hang on a second. Is this the same Apostle Paul that wrote in Galatians 3? That there's no such thing as Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Yes, Paul did write that, but we need to do our work. What is Paul referencing there when he talks about that? He's referencing salvation. Salvation is open to the Jews and to the Gentiles. It's open to male and female and to slave and to free. It's open to everyone when you just connect one of the other ones. So some people might want to say, well, he said there, there is no slave and there is no free, so we can do away with slavery. Well, you can't separate it from there is no male or female. There's plenty of folks today that would like to say that and do away with the genders, right? And we don't want that. That's not what he's teaching. What he's saying there is the nature of the gospel. Salvation is available to all. Now, the Apostle Paul is not the only one that gives us this idea that kind of puts, um, that doesn't go after slavery. Peter does it as well. In 1 Peter 2, 18, he gives this picture when he says, servants be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So he there says you're not only not free from being a slave, but you've even got to be a good worker with someone who's an unjust master. I'm going to give us two areas to break this down, one practically and one theologically. We'll go very quickly with the practically, but I'm hoping as we camp out on this topic just for today that it will be helpful. Practically, Paul was in no position, while you and I, we we note the influence he has had in our life and in the church, Paul was in no position to stamp out slavery. At least one out of every three in the Roman Empire were slaves, maybe up to half. And it's likely that this would have had an incredibly horrible effect on the churches of that day. Now, if you know anything about history, if you've studied about Nero, you might understand that when something went wrong in Nero's area, there was somebody that he would commonly blame. Who was it that would get the blame if something went wrong in Nero's area? It was the Christians. They're to blame. This is the environment that the Apostle Paul is writing in, the people that he's writing to. And so, if Christianity had decided at that point that they were going to take on slavery, and is that, shake your head yes or no, is that a noble task to take on slavery? Oh, yeah. 
If they would have decided to take on slavery, then the Roman Empire most likely would have used their might to extinguish any influence that the church would have. That's on the practical side. Now, some of you are more interested in the theological side, so let's go ahead and look at that. Theologically, we need to ask the question, what was the mission that the Apostle Paul was given? Paul beautifully saved on the road to Damascus and he was here with a mission and that was to present the gospel to the Gentiles and to strengthen churches. There is no doubt that this was his mission. In other words, Paul was first and foremost concerned with seeing men reconciled to God. Around here, we use the expression, we major on the majors and minor on the minors. It wasn't even plural, really, for him. What was the major for the Apostle Paul? Spread the gospel, strengthen the church. These two items. In the passage that I referred to in 1 Peter 2, just before that section where he confirms the idea that slaves should submit to their masters, he says something that describes them. That's helpful when we come to this theological point. Because Peter, as he writes to those people, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles or strangers and pilgrims. He is saying, you have such a short time here that you need to get a handle on why you're here and what is important. This is so important for you to understand the brevity of life and not allow yourself to get sidetracked by the enemy. So understand the great issue is Jesus Christ died for man so man can be reconciled by God's grace. And we have an enemy, the devil, and he is this picture of a, of a lion hiding behind some brush, ready to pounce on you at any moment. Our enemy is like a crouching lion, ready to pounce. And he wants to knock you out. He wants to make you ineffective. If he cannot have your soul and take you to hell with him, then he wants to make sure that the time that you have left in this world, which God has given you some time in this world to do something for him, the devil wants to make that as ineffective as possible. And his strategy is divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Now, you're sensible people. And so you're going to understand that when the devil is going to come and attack you, and if he wants to pull you away from something that is great for God, a cause that is wonderful, the gospel, He's not going to tempt you to go out and rob banks instead. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been given the commission by Jesus Christ and we've been given the tool of the church as well as the spirit within and then all the different connections that you have in your world, he's not going to tempt you to leave that major concern of the church and of Christ's followers to go and to do something wicked and sinful. That won't be the appeal. What might be the appeal instead? 
It's been said the enemy of the best is oftentimes the good. And so I cannot argue against the good. If it's a good way for you to spend your time, I can't tell you to stop. Having said that, I can remind us of the main reason why we are here and what the devil would try to do. I had a situation in the last several years Room full of Christians. I wasn't present, but I heard about it really quick. Room full of Christians. And there was a line like this that got said. Well, nobody can be a Christian and possibly, and I'm not going to finish the line, but when they finished the rest of the line, people stood up and they said, hold on a second. You're saying someone can't be a Christian and do this? Or you're saying someone can't be a Christian and they can't have this as a part of what they do in this world and they weren't naming some kind of a gross sin that's forbidden in God's word. They were talking about an issue that we face here in America. And they brought it to the point where they're saying, if you don't agree with me on this, you're not saved. From my own experience, can I just beg of you to be so guarded with telling someone that they are not a child of God. I'm not telling you that you can't love on someone and try to encourage them and try to you know, bring them to a point of maturity or tell them you might want to pray on these things. You've got to be close with someone. But I have seen people drop that very loosely and most of the time it's when people are opposed that they drop it and give someone the idea that very possibly they are not a child of God because of their stand on something that is a peripheral issue, a side issue. In the light of the short time that you and I have in this world, we are not to allow anything to overshadow the great issue. So Paul here is not going to let this injustice, this horrible thing of slavery, he's not going to let that be the main thing. If Paul would have taken on slavery, then he would not have won very many at all, it doesn't seem like. When you look at it in a pragmatic way of what's going to work, he had to do the best that he could do and then expect God to do what God is going to do. All he would have been talking about all the time in that setting would have been this slavery thing should not be. We've got to do away with this slavery thing. That would have gotten all the attention. It would have overshadowed what he was to proclaim. Now I need you to pay very close attention to the next several moments as I talk. Where the rubber meets the road is hard for us sometimes. Let me ask this question. What is the main reason why Christians are in this world? There might be a variety of answers but when I ask that question, it needs to fall somewhere, somewhere in this area. The main reason why Christians are in the world today is not political. Our mandate is not social. Our mandate is not economic. I'm going to talk about those in just a moment, so just hang on if I, if I ruffle your feathers a little bit. But there is a great danger in thinking that if we as Christians can just fix this social issue or correct that political problem, 
If we can do that, then we will have accomplished what God wanted us to accomplish here in this world. Really. That's what God has us here for. At the end of your days, you can say, I accomplished my task. If you can just get that issue changed. The calling of the church is to proclaim the gospel and to strengthen believers. And whenever those things that are peripheral get more attention, now remember my statement, the enemy of the best is oftentimes what? The good. Keep that in mind here. I'm not asking you to stop doing the good things. We need believers doing good things in our world. It makes a huge change. But having said that, whenever those things that are peripheral get more attention than what should be central, then the peripheral issue becomes highlighted. That's what we are all about. And even if good Christians are making good progress on good issues, if you study through just the last 50 years of history where we can see what's been going on, where Christians have taken on some issues, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have on individuals becoming converted? It's front and center right now in our news. The opportunity to reverse Roe v. Wade, which I'll share with you is one of the driving forces behind why I voted the way that I voted. Having said that, do we really think this is the best evangelistic plan for our church If we can just get Roe versus Wade reversed and get abortion illegal, then people are going to come flooding into the kingdom of God. Do we really think that? Please hear what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to stop the good. I'm asking you to put what is center in the middle and never let anything overshadow it. The example that I think of, it just came to mind as I was studying, was the, the text in the Bible where it says that you're supposed to love, a husband is supposed to love his wife like Jesus Christ loved the church. And I remember hearing a story about a guy that was being counseled by his pastor and he said, I just, I, I love my wife so much. I, I, I love my wife so much. I, I feel so guilty if I, if I stop loving her as much I'll feel horrible I can't do this I can't stop loving her so much and the idea was not that he needed to love his wife less what was the idea that he needed to love God more his wife would be secondary and it would be beautiful it would put maybe many guys to shame but what should be first his love for his God let me give a quote from a a pastor from years ago and then we'll give some application. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a very influential pastor, um, did a wonderful job pastoring in the UK back in the 40s and 50s. There was an issue, a political issue, where there was pressure applied to Jones to get involved because he had a pulpit, right? He had influence. And there was a lot of pressure being applied to him to get involved in an issue, We can name all kinds of issues. This specific issue was communism. Is that a worthy cause to take on? I think so. 
And with all the pressure that was being put on this pastor to make sure that he is giving a lot of attention to the area of communism, battling that, here's what he said. Quote, We must not take up a position of antagonism towards those whom we want to win for Christ. He was speaking about those in Russia. If we spend our whole time talking against them, we will never win them. I know this is a can of worms, all right? And I don't want to fight you. I'm not a fighter. I'm just here to encourage you. How many years do you have? How many? You got 10 more? You got 30 more? In the grand scheme of things, it's not going to be that much. You're going to choose how you are going to use your time. And the devil is pleased for you, for you to use it on good things if he can keep you away from strengthening the church and from spreading the gospel. So please understand, I feel very deeply about abortion. I feel very strongly about biblical marriage. I feel strongly about how my taxes are used. And let me just say this on that side of the issue, and hopefully you'll receive this message just as clearly. As God has shown you his grace and allowed you to be a part of his family. And then as you have determined what burden you have, maybe what gifts you have, opportunities to make an impact. So as God has shown grace to you and you have determined that you can make a difference for good, maybe socially, maybe in your community, I'm asking you, I'm asking you do not stop your involvement with good causes. Instead, just simply do not purpose somehow that you will not lose sight that these good causes are not to supersede the greater cause. The great concern of the gospel, and this is what's beautiful if you're involved in some peripheral things, the great concern of the gospel is that the gospel frames our thinking in life. So when you have to be involved in this, or you have to make a decision here or have an opinion on one side or the other of this issue. The gospel should frame your thinking. This is the implication of the gospel in our life, that we're involved in good things. And yet I can remember as clearly as it gets a conversation that was years and years ago between a husband and wife. Conversation is not the right word for it. It was really an argument. It wasn't me. And as this couple were talking, one was saying how important this matter of feeding starving children in Africa was and this work that was going to be done. And as the spouse said, what in the world does it do any good if we are feeding them and we do not give them the gospel and they live a little bit longer just to die and go to hell? We need to not sound bitter we need to not sound cold, but we can have an impact in meeting needs in the world and we can put it right along with sharing the gospel. Because, listen, the gospel was the answer to slavery. The gospel is the answer to human trafficking. The gospel is the answer to abortion. Crooked politicians. The gospel is the answer for all of these things because what does history 
teach us, if I can reverse back to where we started? What does history teach us? What would make a wealthy, influential individual like William Wilberforce take on the cause of slavery? What was it? The gospel. He was saved by grace. He was set free from his chains of sin. And he looked at the world around him and he said, this is wrong. And so he allowed his influence to affect those that were around him to make a wonderful change in this world. All right, what can we do? Hopefully you picked all three of these up through the message. First of all, what can we do? Keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is the gospel. The main thing is strengthening churches. B, allow the influence of the gospel in your life to impact the world that you live in. So I'm not giving you an out. All right? You need to impact the world that you live in. Allow the influence of the gospel to impact those around you. And then C, have a great confidence in God's word. I didn't spend a whole lot of time going over the differences in slavery in the Bible days and in America in the 1800s. I've got pages and pages of this. Back in the Bible days, there, there, it was uh, put in writing there when um, a master would injure his slave and he would lose an eye, the slave was to go free. This idea of every seven years, the slave's going free. This idea of even when you sent a slave away and he was going to be gone from you and not coming back, you would give him provision and money to take care of himself. Slavery was very, very different back in that day. So be educated. And do not get sucked into this idea that you have to apologize for something that is in the Bible because we don't. Even if you don't get it, the longer we are around, the more science and this world will confirm that God's word is true and anything that man says is contrary is wrong. You can have confidence in God's word. And as he mentions slaves and masters, next week we'll go over this idea of our responsibility with employees and employers and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, with an understanding of salvation. How wonderful that you looked down upon us and blessed us, called to us, and we thank you that we can respond and accept salvation by grace. I praise you for these folks that are here. I thank you for the change that you've made in their lives. I would ask that the gospel would be strong as far as their own confidence and who they are, where they're going to go when they're done here in this world but also to use well the time that they have. And then God also, to allow that ripple effect to go, the incredible changes that Christians have made in this world, in America, because of what you did through changing them. We thank you that they can have an impact around them. But God, allow us never to lose sight of the idea that we need to have the gospel on our lips, on our fingertips, on our feet, as we go into this world And as people come to Christ, then we will see a shift in thinking. And we thank you that you do the work within. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask Anna to play through a couple stanzas on the piano. 
We don't like to let a service go by without giving you an invitation. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the gospel is this. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. He died for your sins so that you could have forgiveness. And even in the place where you sit this morning, you can ask him to save you make, and make him your heavenly Father. I'd invite you to do that if you've never done so. Maybe God's laid something else on your heart. We've touched on a few topics. Take a moment to pray to God during this time.